0: to learn how tap to pay on iphone and stripe can help grow your revenue and reach visit stripe.com slash tap
2: iphone coming up on dtns what nation state attackers do with the info they access what apple fitness users or at least allison do with their fitness app and whether you want your phones back to turn colors we'll 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 explain This is the Daily Tech News for Monday, December 21st, 2020 in Los Angeles. I'm Tom Merritt.
3: And from Studio Redwood, I'm Sarah Lane. And this is Allison Sheridan from the Podfeet Podcast.
2: And I'm the show's producer, Roger Schenck. We were just talking about everything from hypnagogia to old-fashioned webcams. If you want that wider conversation, get Good Day Internet. (laughs) Become a member at patreon.com slash DTNS. Let's start with a few tech things you should know.
4: TikTok users are getting a year-in-review feature with the launch of Year on TikTok, a video highlight reel that showcases individual users' own TikTok TikTok moments. It also IDs your vibes, that's what it's calling the videos that you liked the best in 2020, in categories such as crafts, cooking, animals, travel, or cottagecore. If you haven't been on TikTok long enough to get your own vibe, TikTok will include other top videos from its Year on TikTok top 100 list instead.
2: The Tip Top TikToks. An update to Samsung's Galaxy wearable app lists some of the new features on the company's upcoming Galaxy Buds Pro. That includes spatial audio for faux surround sound when connected to a supported Samsung phone and voice detect, not ace detect, voice detect, which lowers volume and turns on audio pass through when the buds detect that you're speaking.
4: Adobe released betas of Premiere Pro, Premiere Rush, and Audition for macOS, all optimized for Apple Silicon. The Premiere Pro beta is focused on core editing functionality with support for H.264, HEVC, and ProRes codecs. Third-party integrations will need to be updated to be compatible with the new versions. Zoom also announced the release of its universal app for macOS for its video conferencing clients.
2: Security researchers at Citizen Lab at the University of Toronto detailed an espionage campaign that uses an iOS exploit against the personal phones of 36 Al Jazeera journalists. This appears to have been a no-click exploit, meaning that journalists didn't have to do anything uh, except connect to an unknown server after malicious code was sent from Apple. The report claims the code for the exploit belongs to the spyware company NSO Group. The NSO group said it does not have knowledge of who its clients use its soft which of its clients use its software, but investigates any credible charges of misuse. The report found the exploit was effective on almost all iOS devices, not updated to iOS 14.
4: All right, everybody, brace yourselves. This may be startling to hear but there is yet another reported technical glitch with Cyberpunk 2077. (gasps) I know. Players are now reporting that game saves over eight megabytes in size result in warnings that, quote, saved data is damaged and cannot be loaded. According to the game's developer, HD Project Red, these saves can't be recovered, but the issue may be resolved in a future patch. The developer recommends using an older save and to keep a lower amount of items in the game to avoid the issue. (laughs) I feel like I was like weekend update just now where I just can't even get through it without laughing a little bit.
2: Uh, by the way, real quickly, I just want to point out that when we say it was sent from Apple, Apple says that it is investigating this, uh, that it protects people's data. So it, I think it should have read appeared to have been sent from Apple. We'll, we'll, we'll dig into that a little more. All right. Let's talk a little bit more about uh, the U.S. relief package and what it means for technology.
4: Let's do it. Part of the coronavirus relief package deal reached by Congress over the weekend includes $7 billion for broadband internet access. The largest allocation will fund a $3.2 billion emergency broadband benefit, providing $50 per month for broadband for low-income families, with an additional $1 billion in grants for tribal broadband programs and $300 million for rural deployments. The package also includes $1.9 billion for rip and replace efforts meant to replace Huawei and ZTE equipment from U.S. networks. The FCC recently voted to approve the Secure and Trusted Communications Networks Act of 2019, which requires U.S. broadband and wireless carriers receiving universal service funding to remove Huawei equipment. So, there's a lot of money for energy tech, energy grid technology, including $3.4 billion for energy storage and transportation, as well as smart utility and distribution, $4.1 billion for new energy technology, photovoltaics and other solar tech, transportation and energy efficiency, and weatherization. There's also some funding, all less than $1 billion, for offshore wind energy, geothermal energy, marine and hydropower. And there's $6.6 billion for modernization of existing nuclear plants and development of uh, advanced reactors and $6.2 billion for carbon capture and storage rollout, as well as some development money for carbon removal projects. Finally, $2.9 billion is going to ARPA-E. That's the Energy Advanced Research Division. And there's a directive to the Department of the Interior to generate 25 gigawatts of solar, wind and geothermal production on public lands by 2056. The package also provides funds for the Federal Communication Commission's telehealth program and for a pilot program to improve broadband access for communities around historically black colleges or HSBCs by the way, that geothermal production on public lands would be 2025, not 2056. That would suck.
2: Yeah, that was my <laughs> fault. Uh, I'll, you, I'll take the, uh, the typo uh, excuse there. But, but yeah, this is, uh, this is a lot of energy tech, a lot of energy tech money out there. Uh, but I, I think you know, the thing that, that people hope impacts the most is probably U.S. broadband uh, to, to kind of bring that to people.
3: So, you know, I am not the skeptical kind of person. I'm usually the optimist that always sees the best in everything. But I sort of feel like, uh, you know, Charlie Brown with the football and Lucy and all that every time they say they're putting money in for broadband for low income families. I mean, big broadband rollout. How many times have they claimed that money was actually going to go to that and then it didn't?
2: Yeah, I'm feeling a little little faked. The $50 per month will go to people. Those generally end up uh, being used by people for credits. The 300 million for the deployment, on the other hand, doesn't seem to always pan out.
3: Yeah, that's the one. But I'm excited about all the energy tech stuff. Uh, None of that was going towards uh, large oil companies? It seemed Uh, to read it was going the other way around?
2: If if it was going to companies involved in carbon-creating industries, it was going to make uh, carbon-free energy. At least it seemed like all of it was for that, yes. Or
3: carbon removal projects, like Mm -hmm. they said. Yep. Yeah, that that sounds pretty good. I mean, the
4: whole broadband for low-income families, $50 per month, you kind of go like, well, I mean, it's sort of bare-bones broadband. But with all the kids being in school from home now, you know, it used to be something where it, it was, I think, a lot of people who... We're in more positions of power would say, well, yeah, sure, it'd be nice if everybody had broadband. But when it actually means your child is either going to school or not going to school, then this is really, really important.
3: Will we ever forget those two little girls sitting outside of a Taco Bell trying to get free Wi-Fi so they could go to school? Mm. (laughs) This is it's good. I I'm, I had not heard about the the providing direct relief where they could get fifty dollars per month for for broadband. I mean that that'll that'll make a dent in the bill. That, that's not bad, really.
2: Yeah, certainly if you if you qualify. All right, let's talk about a concept phone, Allison.
3: All right, OnePlus revealed another concept phone. This time, based on the OnePlus Eight T, this concept phone has a back that can change color. The back uses a film with metal oxide under a glass panel. The film changes colors when you apply voltage. At its simplest, this could be used for notifications, like turning green if you had a text message, for example. But the phone also features a rear millimeter wave radar pre- precise enough to detect breathing, and it can track objects as well. That could be used for gesture control, but also could do some biofeedback. For instance, the color could pulse along with your breathing, or perhaps if your breathing rate gets, gets problematic, the back of the phone could turn red. And no, this is a concept, so OnePlus gave no indication of when it might show up in an actual phone you could buy.
4: My first reaction to this was like, who puts their phone face down on uh, you know the desk, but, you know the desk that I'm working at right now? I would never do that because the top of my phone is where I get my notification. So I want that facing up. and also the front of my phone is the one that I want scratched less. However, <laughs> with a lot of these concepts they sometimes seem silly at first until in practice people go oh this actually is super helpful and here's why i like the idea of being able to i'm not so much about the uh, not so much about the breathing stuff but just the idea of getting notifications that are color coded in a way that would be pleasant
3: See, I put my phone face down a lot, Sarah, when I'm in a conversation with someone, I'm sitting at the dinner table. Maybe I want my That's phone nearby in case, yeah. you know, an argument comes up or something and you need to look up a fact to prove somebody wrong. But if you can face it, you put it face down, you're making a statement that says I'm, I'm paying attention to you. Now, if it can glow green, I can stop paying attention to you and have my phone <laughs> down. <laughs> right?
4: so you're polite and yet not missing a beat. <laughs> exactly.
3: Exactly.
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was a year ago that OnePlus uh, showed us, uh, the camera under the display by the way somebody else beat him to it we'll get to that later in the show uh so so OnePlus likes to do this uh they don't always come out with the stuff but a lot of what they've showed off they they showed off the the telescoping selfie cam that would pop up and and that has made it to market uh does end up this is one where i'm not sure i'm not sure it will make it to market because i'm not sure what it's good for I mean, they've told us what it could be used for, but none of those seem like compelling cases. On the other hand, companies will try this because they want to differentiate themselves from Apple and Samsung. Uh, and if they can say like, yeah, but look, ours turns colors on the back and why, now breathe. Look, see, it's in sync with your breathing. Isn't that cool? That's the kind of stuff that convinces people in a store to buy uh, a phone that they might not otherwise buy, even if it's not that practical.
4: Yeah, like yeah the I actually do really like
3: the, the, sorry, the sir. fun
4: part of it. Oh, no, go ahead.
3: I was just going to say I really do like the idea of the glowing back. I think that could be that could be kind of interesting. I mean maybe it's just fun too. Right? I mean we like having glowing lights in our background that are changing colors for the holidays and things. So it could just be fun. But I do sort of feel like OnePlus is the research arm for everybody else and their stuff doesn't actually end up coming to market a little that the cooler stuff.
4: I think you know you know just thinking about this a little bit more. I my original thing was well, when am I ever putting my phone face down on a desk? And Allison, to your point, it would be a polite thing to do at Thanksgiving dinner, for example, but maybe it's in my purse, you know, or it's in a bag of some kind. You know, I'm always carting around things. We got masks on these days and, you know, it's it's. I'm constantly like, where's my phone? Where's my phone? To have it glowing in a way where I'm like, oh, my phone's trying to tell me something and the color lets me know that it's a text message or there's some sort of breathing information that I might be aware of. That really does come in handy
2: all right. One of the things we know about the solar winds attacks that we talked about all last week is that the attackers do not appear to have access classified information or the nuclear codes or anything like that. They seem to have been after email, maybe some other documents in non classified systems. So, what is that good for? Foreign Policy magazine interviewed more than three dozen current and former U.S. intelligence and national security officials for a three part series about spies battling it out over big data. And it sheds some light on what a foreign government can use this kind of information for identifying spies. In 2013, the U.S. CIA noticed that its agents in Africa were almost immediately, like the moment they stepped off the plane, being identified by the Chinese for surveillance, and they tried to figure out why. Rather than hunt for a mole like they might have in the 1960s, uh, the CIA determined that China was analyzing stolen data. This is something China has become an expert at in the past 10 years. Back before 2010... The Chinese government was angry over the infiltration of the party and government by CIA assets. So the Chinese launched a program to discover and exploit a flaw in the CIA's online system that was used by its operatives, and they succeeded and rooted out a lot of the CIA's spies. As a result, the party discovered that the prevalence of dirty money uh, in the Chinese system—bribes and stuff like that— was helping spies hide because there was so much you couldn't say just because there was a money thing that they were a spy. Too many people were involved in dirty money. So President Xi Jinping began an anti-corruption push in 2012, not just a coincidence. It may not have been only for this, but it definitely was partly Because of this. In 2013, the Snowden leaks came out revealing how far into Huawei's Chinese based servers the CIA had penetrated. And that further spurred China to start collecting data, beginning with tracking flights and passenger lists to try to figure out okay, if we know somebody's a spy, where are they going? Uh, It also went after biometrics data at airports like Bangkok. So maybe they could try to figure out like, okay, we think that person's a spy. Is that the same person traveling under a different name? China had stolen information before, of course, but now it was building the infrastructure to process it. Data analysis. Intelligence facilities began to be located near data processing centers in China. The travel information was helpful in uncovering spies, but another piece of the puzzle made it much more effective. An attack on the U.S. Office of Personnel Management in 2012 leaked personnel data from 21.5 million people, including myself, that had health, residency, employment, fingerprint, and financial data. Background checks that included mental health, sexual histories, drug use were also in the data that was accessed by the attackers. That data could be analyzed to figure out who was a U.S. agent, just based on what you could find in there, uh, as well as pair that information with the travel data. And then you could figure out who from China those agents met with. The background data particularly could be used to cultivate China's own assets abroad. For instance, recruitment of American translators at U.S. intelligence agencies increased shortly after this attack, as did much faster recruitment and harassment of spouses of U.S. officials by Chinese and Russian officials. And Russia, coincidentally or maybe not, used information in payroll payments that it had to identify the real State Department employees from the more highly paid CIA operatives at the U.S. Embassy in Moscow. That's what they did with the data from one database in the U.S. government in 2012. So you can imagine, with email, communications, and more from multiple government agencies, multiple corporate clients around the world, what they might be able to tell about who's out there.
4: Yeah, no kidding. And especially, you know, the classified documents versus uh, non-classified email documents and other correspondence. being able to infiltrate that uh, gives you a great idea of where people are going and when. But also, yeah, who their families are, where they live, where they're going, where they've come from. Uh, it's very mind blowing to me. And I know we had somebody on our show last week who said, can't wait for the for the movie on this, you know, who's getting the movie rights, because that this is a good one. I mean, not good in the sense that any of this happened. But boy, talking about uh, some espionage stuff, it does not
3: get any deeper
4: than this. Allison, what do you make of it?
3: Well, Tom mentioned at the beginning that they didn't access classified information, so we're all happy about that. But there's kind of an analogy when you look at classified information um, in my previous work employment. We would have seemingly innocuous information about something that was going on in a classified program. Like, let's say, how many licenses of X type of piece of software. And And we were told we weren't allowed to document that in any way. We weren't allowed to report on it. We weren't allowed to track it. And and I would say, well, but how could this piece of software tell you anything? And they explained, if you take this piece of data plus this other piece of data plus this other piece of data, you start putting it together. Now you know what kind of engineers we have in this program that are doing this kind of work, and that and by that you can start putting together what kind of work are we doing. And so it's it's this aggregation of data together that at each individual piece not that interesting, not that useful. But when you aggregate it all together, that's when you can build this this bigger picture. Um, also, you know, Tom, bringing up the pers- office of personnel management uh, uh, loss, I'm still angry about that. Additional information that's in that was in that database. In addition, to what Tom said was, it's not just the information about us; it's information about everybody we know. Because one of the things that we had to fill out in our security clearance paperwork was things like birthdays and 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 uh, and addresses of all of our relatives of any of our foreign contacts i mean mm. if, if there is a single thing you could have stolen that was the most valuable to me that was the single thing you know obviously a- aggregating all this stuff together is even more powerful but that one thing by itself yeah that's that's the whole kit and caboodle i mean that's that was the that was the money steal right there
2: and imagine with machine learning being what it is now and and how well Chinese companies are doing above board with machine learning, how you can train a system to look at a huge pile of data and tell certain things about it that you want to find out. You, do, you don't even have to do the correlation of it anymore. You just turn the algorithm on it and say, find me the spies. And it's likely with a high level of accuracy to be able to tell you like these people are likely spies.
3: Yep. Yeah, well, maybe if you, we're going to need a whole new batch of spies.
2: If you want a, uh, if you want a positive take on this, uh, in this foreign policy article, Dwayne Norman, a former senior CIA official, said, "You operate under the assumption that good tradecraft, not secrecy, will protect your assets and operations. So OPM wasn't some kind of eye opener; it was confirmation of new threats we already knew existed." He's, he's not saying that it's not bad. He's saying like, but it's not new. We, we deal, we, we operate under the assumption that the enemy is going to figure out stuff all the time and we should always be figuring out how to counter them before they do it. Hey folks, if you want to join in the conversation in our Discord, link your Patreon account. Become a patron and then link that account to Discord and you'll get the Daily Tech News Show server. Uh, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash DTNS.
1: Visit bankofamerica.com slash banking for business to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America NA, copyright 2024.
0: The Claude 3 model family from Anthropic is your one stop shop for enterprise AI. With models at every point on the price performance curve, you no longer have to make trade offs between intelligence, speed, and cost. Claude 3 Opus sets new industry benchmarks for intelligence. Stripe helped me expand my reach and grow my business with ease. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone.
4: Well, last week we talked about the launch of Apple Fitness Plus. Uh, We all kind of kicked around whether it seemed worth it, Uh, whether those of us who don't have Apple Watches to get them so we can get on board, whether it is a good service at all. And we're happy to have Allison with us today because you've actually done that. You have actually taken Apple Fitness Plus for a test drive. So let us
3: know. How is it? Well, one of the first things I wanted to talk about was people are questioning the need for an Apple Watch. And it turns out with the phone uh, app and the iPad app, you can do it without an Apple Watch. But with the Apple TV app, you do have to have an Apple Watch. But mm. to me... I, there's actually no point to this if you don't have an apple watch because otherwise why aren't you just watching youtube you could be watching anything the the key feature that makes this unique is that on screen the entire time you're working out you get to see a whole bunch of data you can see at a always on screen is your own heart rate how many calories you've burned in that workout and some some other things that are that are also useful like if you're doing a high intensity interval training you can see the total clock so if you sign up for a 30 minute class you can tell i'm only 10 minutes into the torture i got a long way to go but during the intervals there's also a clock showing you how much time you have left And to me, there's nothing more aggravating than when they tell you, okay, we're going to do this 40 seconds, and they don't give you any feedback during that 40 seconds. So that 40 seconds just stretches out to an hour when you're in agony. Um, (laughs) So this, you can always tell exactly how long that's going to go. Um, it's a part. So I think the Apple watch is a really key feature. Otherwise, like, why are you bothering with this? Go watch some YouTube. You're fine. I mean, yeah, well, I, I could
2: see, I could see people saying like, yeah, but the Apple is probably better than what I would find on YouTube. Uh, but that's not the product Apple is making. Apple's making a product that relies on the tracking to, to be at its best advantage. They're not making YouTube videos.
1: Yeah,
3: And I mean, it's hard to say it's better than YouTube because YouTube has a lot of content. Right? I'm There's not saying it's
2: training. better. Than, I'm not. I, I know, am not saying know, it's better are. than YouTube. I'm saying a lot of people may say, I believe it will be better from Apple. So I would like to sign up even though I don't have my Apple Watch.
3: Yeah, maybe. I mean, they got real nice wood backgrounds and stuff. Maybe their trainers are even more fit. I don't know. Uh, yeah. Leo Laporte did say that one of the things he doesn't like is the trainers are all fit and thin. Uh, I hate that, Uh, but it felt very much, the ones that I did felt very much like the kinds of things that I've seen on YouTube. So it didn't seem that extraordinarily different, but to be able to see these, these metrics real time was, was really cool. They also have, um, they have an environment for people who are new to certain exercises. So you can say, I would like the absolute beginners yoga or the absolute beginners uh, cycling and and you get kind of a a basic course. And for somebody like me, I've never done yoga before, so I did it. And I figured out that uh, yoga is not for me. I didn't like it. It didn't. Uh, wasn't really what I like. Because in forty-five or in uh, twenty minutes, I burned a grand total of forty-six calories. I'm looking for highest calorie burn per minute. That is my my main goal to make up for how much I want to eat and drink. So that was not the metric I needed. Um they do have an interesting thing in here called burn bar and you know Apple's not really good at doing any kind of the social stuff and I think this is as close as they're getting right now the burn bar shows you how many calories you're burning versus everybody else who's taken this course and so it was kind of funny when I finished I was middle of the pack at 212 calories in 20 minutes or 30 minutes and the the top end was 178 calories burned and my first thought was wow I want to get to the front of the pack And then I realized that's a very odd metric because if I was super out of shape, I didn't, you know, I had no muscle tone or anything and I was real flabby and I went in there, I would probably burn more calories during the same exercise as somebody who was super fit. So, Or somebody
4: who, you know, has hyperthyroidism or something where it's like it's going to just throw off numbers.
3: Yeah, it's just I'm just not sure that's the right metric to go to the top. Um, I, I did get my heart rate up on her to 160 beats per minute and you're supposed to, your peak heart rate's supposed to be like 220 minus your age and I'm 62. So I should have stopped at 158 and I can tell you 160 does not feel good. That is not where I wanted to be. So I needed to slow it down. Um, the other thing I did want to talk about was from a tech standpoint Uh, again, you could do it on your phone, your iPad, or or the big screen TV with your Apple TV. And I can see it being super useful to use an iPad, say, uh, you know, in a hotel room or something like that when you're on travel. But I also discovered that the type of class you're doing might change which device you want to use. So my TV is like eight feet up off the wall, uh, on the wall in our bedroom. And that's really hard to use when you're doing a downward dog in yoga. I couldn't see it at all. So I actually stopped the workout and started it over on the iPad. And then I moved the iPad, you know, from the bed to the floor to the bed to the floor as she was changing what she was telling us to do. So you, it is good to think about what kind of workout you're doing as you pick your uh, the tool you're going to use to watch it.
2: All right, folks, let us know if you're uh, using this, what you think too. Feedback at DailyTechNewsShow.com. Uh, real quickly, ZTE is the first to market with a phone with an under-display 32 megapixel selfie cam available in the ZTE Axon 25G. It was a year ago about this time that, that, that we were seeing it from, I think, Oppo. Uh, but now we're seeing it from ZTE in the market. The reviews are in and mostly find the phone to be respectable as a mid-range far- smartphone with a pretty bad selfie cam. Uh, the Verge's Sam Byford describes the camera as producing hazy, soft photos with weak colors and blown-out highlights. In good light, with a ton of noise and obliterated detail. In lower light, Android Authority's David Immel describes it a little more charitably as adding a glow, reminiscent of Vaseline on the lens of a 60s movie <laughs> camera. Uh, the screen effect. The mm-hmm. screen uses a combination of organic and inorganic film over the camera to let some light through. And then that section, which is pretty small up at the top, uh, has lower pixel density. So you do tend to see where the square is over the camera, especially with white backgrounds. Outside of its headline feature, though, reviewers uh, seem to like the 90 hertz, 1080 OLED screen uh, phone with a 5G modem and eight gigabytes of RAM for 449 euros.
3: You know, the good thing is, Tom, cameras in cell phones aren't really important, right? Hardly anybody uses them. It's not like that would be a feature you'd want to work
2: really well. Right. Well, that's the weird thing, right? The I guess... Maybe for people who don't care about cameras having them hidden under the screen is better, but then if you can tell it's there, I don't know. I don't. Know. We'll see who this who buys it. This is it. ridiculous. This is, this is absolutely ridiculous.
4: I mean, it wouldn't be ridiculous if if the camera, the selfie camera, people were like, "This is amazing." It sounds like the camera's just sure it's hidden, but it's also not very yeah. good. The I mean, how, who Yeah, who's winning? Not we're, no, we're Yes, we're we're not quite there yet.
3: I absolutely don't care about the notch. I know people lose their minds. about it. I don't it,
4: either. Don't I do not. It it is never a thing that has ever bothered me in any sense. I'm like, really? I mean, just a tiny thing. Just don't look at it.
2: <laughs> All right, let's uh, check out the mailbag, Sarah.
4: Oh, let's do it. Jared wrote in and was one of several people who noted that Tom and I last week kept mentioning fighter pilots when we were discussing U-2 surveillance planes. And, of course, the U-2 plane is a surveillance plane and not a fighter. So we regret that error. Jared also added, though, when you think about any aircraft, there is a lot going on around aviating, navigating, communicating. When you're a single pilot, that alone is a difficult job add in the jobs of observing radars and cameras and reporting any contact scene so they can then be investigated. It can become a very overwhelming job. This is where AI helping the pilot would be an incredible advantage. Makes me think back to the old Firefox movie from the 1980s, where the pilot could just think or talk to the aircraft's For system control.
2: That's great insight, Jared. Uh, Kind of really fleshing out why uh, having that AI assistant is helpful. Also, some folks uh, took exception with my answer to doctor's question of what else could be broken out uh, from big companies if they were broken up. I said ad tech and ad platforms from Facebook and Google. I want to clarify, I wasn't Advocating that that's the right solution. I was answering doctors' question about if they were to break it up, what could they break it up into. Uh, so that that wasn't me saying, and they should. That was me saying, here are some possible targets they could go after. As far as what effects it might have, Derek, who works in advertising, uh, noted, if Instagram and WhatsApp were broken up into separate companies, it would help make the marketplace more competitive, giving advertisers more options, better pricing, etc. because more competition. We deal with Facebook ad sales the same way we do with NBC. The final transaction does have to occur within Facebook's platform interface, but we see the same for other social networks. So he was saying Facebook owning that doesn't really bother him that much. Google, on the other hand, he says, is far more problematic in that they own so much more, including ad-serving platforms like GCM and DoubleClick, Analytics, programmatic DSPs like DV360, ad networks like GDN and AdMob on top of their monopoly in search and video. He called it a monopoly, uh, including YouTube. If you work across their suite, it just works, but it can be a challenge if you don't want to go all in on Google. Thank you, Derek, uh, for the advertising side perspective on that.
4: Absolutely, and thanks to everybody who sends us feedback. Sometimes there are questions about stories that we've covered. Hey, why'd you cover it this way? Why didn't you cover it another way? Here's something I have to add to a story that you've covered. Here's something I'd like to hear about in the future. All of those should go to feedback at dailytechnewsshow.com. We love getting your feedback. Keep them coming. Also, shout out to patrons at our master and grandmaster levels. Today they include Paul Boyer, Philip Shane, and Erwin Sturr. Also, thanks to Allison Sheridan for
3: being with us today. Allison, what's been going on in your world? Well, I'm actually going to cheat and have two quick plugs here on uh, uh, my Chit Chat Across the Pond podcast. Uh, Two weeks ago, I had a gentleman named Tom Merritt come on the show to talk about how he manages all the amazing numbers of things that he does. And uh, also this week on the No Silicast, uh, my flagship show, I have Bart shots on every other week where he does a segment called Security Bits. And this week he did a deep dive into the solar winds attack where he explains everything about it from the beginning to what we know right now.
2: Yeah, your, the, your guest on the chit chat about time management uh, made a lot of suggestions that I found obvious uh, to myself, <laughs> but maybe some other people will find it useful. The The breakdown of Solar Winds from from you guys was fantastic. Uh, I, it's a, the best overview I've heard of just like, if you want to know everything that happened, because we were covering it day by day. If you just want that that 30,000 foot view, uh, go check that out, podfeet.com. And uh, folks, don't forget, uh, patrons that stick with us get uh, merchandise rewards at certain levels. You have to be at the right level for it uh, but you can get things like stickers t-shirts hoodies uh, every three months as long as you stay a patron go find the details at patreon.com slash dtns
4: folks we are live monday through friday 4 30 p.m eastern that's twenty one thirty utc find out more at dailytechnewsshow.com slash live and we are back tomorrow with blair bazderich talk to you then